and I stepped into the room and Buzzy Lenhart was on stage singing Get Together. Oh, no way. I mean, that song went right through me like a spear. Yeah. And uh, you know how in the movies about Jesus and the Bible? Yeah. The, I mean, the clouds opened up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Big arrow that said, this is it. This is the way. This is your way forward. Wow. And um, not, and you know, you listen to the lyrics, not only as music, but Love is but a song we sing, fears the way we die. Who writes songs like that? Dystopia tonight. Tonight. Hey, what's going on, man? Welcome to the cast. Yeah, my pleasure. I, I love your background, by the way. Is that every? Do you? Is that? Can you play every single one of those? Yeah, most of them. Some of them need strings. Mm -hmm. Mostly Taylors, but there's a few. There's an old uh, Strat there, and and uh, this uh, crazy Gibson. The rest of them are. And a couple of basses because I used to play bass in the young. Place. Yeah, actually, I you know I we had three guitar players. We could not find a bass player who would join the band. So wow, I wow. said, you know, we were just <clears throat> folk musicians at that time. And I said, well, McCartney's doing it. It must be able to be done. I had just never. So I just went and bought a went went to Manny's music there right there on whatever it was forty. Wow, and bought a bass and. And uh, kind of learned on the job. That's all. Wow. Did you always have that innate ability to play music? Um, a lot of music in the family, yeah. Dad was a classical pianist, and mom was a violinist. Although I never heard her play, but it has a beautiful voice. Oh wow! That's that's wow. where the voice comes in my family through her to myself and my sister, and then Jazzy. You've heard uh, mm -hmm. heard yeah. some of Jazzy's work. She's the the voice lives. Yeah, that's it's, that's it's incredible great. because you guys, uh, I guess, you had no issue with wanting to go into music in your family because it was probably encouraged, right? Well, not really. My dad was an accountant, and oh. we, we only had one musician in the family, and he he was a drunk. Oh, so <laughs> I, I think they were really terrified when I dropped out of school. But I mean, there I was. I had transferred to NYU. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I grew up in Queens, but, but I was just a kid there. I didn't know what the village was. And NYU's in the village. And NYU, the building I went to, is on the square. And there's all these scruffy looking guys down there. I'm going to class, all these classes that I hate. And there's <laughs> guys and gals down there or yeah. late in the morning playing, mm -hmm. playing music around the fountain. And after the first year of NYU, I just said, no, I got to join them. Wow. You know, I knew the I knew the basket houses were there, and that I could just walk in, and if I could play decently, you know, they let me, they let me play, and so they did. What was the first instrument you picked up? Uh, piano. Oh wow! Okay, oh, nice. Yeah. But you know, when I was ten, they were still teaching me these, I don't know, some kind of donkey songs. And <laughs> <laughs> Alan Freed came on the radio. Oh, wow. Yeah. Doo-wop changed my life. Mm -hmm. Symphony Sid on one end of the dial and Alan Freed on the other. And I had this brown plastic radio that was right in my bookshelf, like 10 inches from my ear. And I left that radio on for at least four years. All wow. night. I could turn it way down. And I think, <laughs> I mean, it just permeated me. You know, that, <laughs> then I started collecting 78s and then. Yeah. And were you able, was it like something that you had to practice or were you able to like play music by ear basically? Like you would listen to so much of it in your family and then on the radio where you just kind of picked it up naturally? Yeah, that was all I knew. I mean, uh, when I was 15, I went off to prep school um, and uh, they offered guitar 
mm. as, as, as an elective. So, wow. You know, it was classical guitar. So we got these awful, these Stella guitars with action like one inch. Wow. <laughs> For the first few months, like your fingers are shredded. And, right. But, you know, I'm not doing my homework in classical. I'm, I'm, I'm figuring out the next Everly Brothers song. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, and I'm still, I mean, last time I wrote, last time I read music, I was 10 years old playing the piano. So it's, wow. yeah, my whole career has been listening to records. Mm. Mm -hmm. By Lemon Jefferson. Wow. I was just listening to Memphis Minnie and realizing she was the only female guitarist that ever, you know, came to be famous and a studio musician and stuff through the whole blues thing from the 20s. Wow, I didn't know that. 50s. Yeah. yeah well, that's incredible. How long was it before you did, were playing with those guys outside your college, like in, in the village and stuff, before you like started making maybe money doing it? Like, do you, do you remember when you got your first paid gig? Yeah, my first paid gig was at the Club 47. The guy who recorded me, Bobby Scott, he discovered me. Um, my sister had a newsman for a husband at CBS. Mm. So she said, can't you do something for Perry? <laughs> it was Perry Miller then. And, uh, you know, because he has a lovely voice and he's writing songs and mm -hmm. he's nowhere. So, I mean, and they sent me to a man named Walter Bishop, who was who did the canned music for CBS News, and his son, and Walter Bishop turned out to be a composer, serious composer, and his son, Walter Bishop Jr., an established jazz player. But I played for him, and he said, I know who would love you, and he sent me to Bobby Scott, and, you know, Bobby said I could play some stuff, and uh, he was working for Darren uh, mm. in the Brill Building. Okay. And um, so... I played a few songs and he said, God, you are so ignorant. I love it. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> so from that day on to him, I was Pigfoot. That became. Yeah. <laughs> um, what were you studying when you were in college? Do you remember? Um, you know, I never, I was in, what was I in? Two colleges. And um, I was always playing the guitar. English was always my favorite because I thought, yeah. When I was in 11th grade in prep school, I thought I was going to be a writer. You know, I wrote my first 78-page right. story. And, and uh, but then, you know, then I wrote my first song, and it was so much faster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was locked up in this boys' school that was in Massachusetts oh. winter, and there's, you know, not a gallon. Oh, man. Even the boys' school thing, though, that must have been great because to get into music just to meet women must have been just another incentive to do it, too. <laughs> like, pick up any instrument. Well, it wasn't – What a, it was It was a great experience. I learned – it was a great school, and mm -hmm. uh, they taught me everything I needed to know. I didn't learn anything in college. I didn't learn oh. They taught me that I could go from an hour of homework a night in public school to six hours. Okay. Coming in at eleventh grade is a crazy idea, but that's right. That's how it worked out for me. So, um, and I just learned that I could do it. That I could just kind of jump in. What? Go to the library? They don't give you a textbook. They give you this big sheet of stuff to look up and all these different books. I had never done any of that stuff, mm -hmm. and nobody told me how to do it. I just kind of had to figure it out. And I got to. Uh, I got to make my first record. God, I wish I had that. Um, I recorded oh. Trying to Get to You. Oh, wow. They had a machine which would cut a, a 78. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so made my first recording there, wrote my first songs, um, uh, you know, and being locked up in a uh, basically a monastery. Uh, <laughs> great for songwriters because, you know. Yeah. No distractions. Yeah. The hormones got to go somewhere. <laughs> Into the music. Yeah. Of course. That's, uh, was it, 
did you want to be in a band? Did you, was that your goal to kind of get to, or were you just enjoying doing solo stuff, writing your own music, kind of getting it out there? Or did you, did you have it in your head? Like, Oh no, I think I want to collaborate with other people. No, it just happened. Um, so I'm playing solo gigs. Oh, so Bobby Scott, who was a jazz musician said, you know, kid, we got to make a record with you because if you can have, if you have a record, you can, you can get, they'll book you. Nice. And if you don't, they won't. I mean, that was his experience as a jazz player. Right. So, um, and he couldn't get Darren to sit still long enough to listen to me. So one night he said, <clears throat> we're going in the studio. I said, wait a minute, my guitar's in hock. And I happen to have a friend, Stuart Cutchins, who in my uh, literature class, who had a Martin. So I said, <laughs> I'm going to record tomorrow night. Can I borrow Martin? <laughs> so I went in there and in our studios uh, right near Manny's. And he said, sit over here, kid. Sit on that stool. Play everything you know. Wow. And uh, four hours later, I go in there and he had pulled the songs that he wanted. He had arranged them uh, and had cut the record. You know, they got him a demo right there. I mean, it was done. Um, Jeez. And yeah, what an amazing experience. I didn't know I was ready to make a record, but I listened to some of them and said, hey, I guess I was ready. Yeah. And then it came out. Then I played the 47. Okay. Uh, Club 47 in Boston. Oh, nice. Famous, famous folk club. Yeah. Yeah, Dylan, everybody played there. Yeah. Uh, I just saw a Dylan documentary where they had early footage of uh, of him and those guys starting out at Club 47. It was something I'd never really heard of until I saw it, but I saw it over the pandemic. They had come out with a documentary wow. about kind of where everybody had started, and that was in there in Boston. I had no idea. Yeah, well, that was it, and that's where I met uh, I met uh, Jerry Corbett there once, and he sent me a. He sent me a message. I was in a sound check, probably the second or third time I played there. Mm -hmm. And it said, don't go home, come to my house. Mm. So it turns out the cops were wherever I was staying, busting the guy who I was staying with. And so I ended up <clears throat> over at Corbett's. Wow. wow. Sitting on the back porch with him. Um, it's funny, I live in South Carolina now. He's a, he, he's a Georgia boy, born and raised. <laughs> three hours from here and um but his dad was in the in the air force so he grew up all over the world oh. anyway he's a wonderful picker harmonica player and um god he's learning my material and we're you know playing old uh, 50 songs and that we grew up with and uh then he starts showing up at my gigs which is mm -hmm. wonderful and um then one day I looked at him and said, hey, I think we're supposed to have a band. I mean, <laughs> look at it. The Beatles have proved that it doesn't have to be, you know, dumb shit right. <laughs> to be on the radio now and, and, and to. Uh, so we made that transition. We bought one amp, two DeArmond uh, De pickups, and, mm -hmm. and made our first appearance on Martha's Vineyard, I guess, as I don't know what. Wow. I didn't know your first appearance at Martha's Vineyard. That's awesome. Yeah. And from then on, and then we found he knew Banana. Um, and Banana, the wonderful combination of a keyboard player who also plays guitar. Mm. So um, Wurlitzer, Wurlitzer. And um, a jazz drummer from Memphis had just moved in upstairs. I mean, there were a lot of drummers around. Uh, you know, Boston was the Cambridge were the center of the folk scene on the East Coast. So, right. yeah, we we actually had a folk singer, Chris Smithers, that was that was with us. That was mentioned the same club up in Boston. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Early. Yep, I know his name from the day. Yeah, yeah, he, he was. Cool. He, it's so crazy. We had uh, um, we had Chris Smither on, and he played you know one of his songs. He just grabbed a mm -hmm. guitar, started playing a song, and. Uh, <laughs> It's him singing it, obviously, him playing it, and our people on social media or YouTube flagged it for copyright infringement. And I was just like, but he's playing it. <laughs> live. It's, it's his song live. <laughs> and they were like, we don't know. I was just like, come on, oh, guys. God. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. 
guys. Um, so that's oh, cool. Anyway, wanted... that yeah. was, me. and so I don't know. I talked into moving to New York, all of them. Oh, nice. And uh, we went in and spent nine months, probably nine months at the club, uh, Cafe Gogo. Oh, great. Uh, yeah, we were open for whoever. We were open from, oh, I got to open from Monty Waters. Come on. Oh, no way. Wow. All the way to Ian and Sylvia, who I don't think appreciated this, these young rock band opening. <laughs> <laughs> we were there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we learned how to play as a band. I, I never really got to the band thing in high school. No, just a couple of things for talent shows. Yeah, and what of course, were the, yeah. Go ahead. You you were saying the Beatles were like, because uh, a couple people who've been on have always mentioned like the Beatles or or some other band that kind of influenced them to get together with other musicians. Was that the impetus that you guys had to do that? Was that really like you were like it yeah. works for them, it works for us? I mean, they were. They were proving to us that pop music didn't have to be dumb shit. And, right. and uh, it was just the right time. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, the folk scene was very strict, you know, but just buying, <laughs> just buying an amp and two pickups was like, really? <laughs> you know, like, you're on the shit list now because, wow. yeah, um, you're not folkies anymore. What right. I'm Wow. Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of uh, yeah strict that way. But I mean, I we, we weren't paying any attention to that. We were just we were just following our noses the same yeah. way. But we couldn't get a bass player, and I taught uh, some fella Jim Mayers, who's a friend of ours, who was uh, just like a parlor guitarist. I taught him. Well, I figured I figured out how to play the bass, and I taught him how. And mm -hmm. then eventually, I said, you know. I think I better do this. So, yeah. Nice. And when did you guys become the Young Bloods officially? Well, it must have been '66, because uh, yeah, we went through uh, Jesse Colin Young and the Lonely Nights and uh, Jerry <laughs> Corbett Trio, yeah, Jesse, <laughs> Jerry Corbett Trio, and all. Um, so we're at the go-go, and they uh, once we learned how to play, they, they start bringing in the record company people, our mm -hmm. manager did, and uh, I think it was, we made the decision right before we signed with RCA. Um, and we only signed with RCA because they would let us choose our own producer, and we wanted Felix Popolardi. Oh, and wow. He was brilliant, but not part of the establishment. And, you know, we're coming into a thing, you know, the music business were good. <laughs> I, it's a joke. We our first <laughs> our first percentage was one and a half cents. What was it? What? One and a half. Yeah, one and a half cents uh, per record. Is that possible? Wow. Or maybe it was one and a half percent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the way that you know, and then they just. We, we had a lot of stuff to do. The reason we had to walk off the Johnny Carson show was people were used to just treating musicians as, I don't know, have you guys ever played clubs? Like, you know, everybody's out there eating steak and they want you peanut butter and jelly for you guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I know that feeling. They're like the Carson show. They promised us two songs. We had just released Elephant Mountain. So we oh, said, well, we won't play Sunlight uh, and... Uh, and then, of course, you want the hit, right? We'll play it together. Yeah. This is 69. Yeah. So toward the end of the sound check, they said, you know, guys, we don't have enough time for, we just have time for one song. Wow. So, well, I mean, I'm sure they'd done that a thousand times, but tell yeah. me what, fellas. That's great. Wow. Yeah, that was, and, and did, were any of you like kind of nervous about doing that? Because it was the Car Carson show was huge at the time. Well, you know, we just, um, you know, we didn't want to be treated that way. We were right. adult men. We made an agreement. It was a, it was a quickie. They must have, maybe they lost somebody or something because it was a quick hire mm. of, okay, in two days we're flying to New York and we're going to play the Carson show. Okay. Um, so, we had an oral agreement. 
Yeah. And I mean, they said, uh, you either stand, we said, you either stand by your agreement or we're walking. Wow. That's awesome. Did anybody try to apologize later? Any man, anybody come out and be like, no. hey, we're really sorry about it? Carson did this nasty. Oh, my poor mother was watching the show, you know, waiting no for No way. Us. What did he do? Oh, he just said, well, these kids have been in show business five minutes. We wiped their nose and sent them home. Wow. Yeah. What uh, a dick. Poor mom. Yeah. What a dick. Yeah. That's, that's, I did. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, that, that's, but, I, I mean, you know, that, that was his dick part. He wasn't, you know, obviously he wasn't even there. It was the, producer. right. Yeah. Yeah. Made them. They, the, they just had, I wonder if they were, you know, they probably done it to a thousand acts before yeah. me and the young bloods. So, um, but maybe they weren't so quick to do it. This is just our way of saying, um, and one and a half cents percent is not going to do it anymore, guys. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, that's did, a great lesson. Did that word get around the music community? Because Welcome Up the Carson Show had to be a big <laughs> deal. So what did the other bands, when you would encounter them when you're touring and doing this and that, what were their reaction to you with it? No, you know, none of the bands ever mentioned it, but every journalist did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, so nothing in journalism has changed since the uh, since the sixties. <laughs> um, that's incredible, though. I, I give you guys props for doing that because that's that's a hard thing to do. Um, did you uh, did you when you got when you guys saying get together because that had been you know you guys made it popular. That was like that had been done a few times. What do you think made your version of the song stand out so much? You know, I know that's funny. I was in my doctor's office 10 years mm -hmm. ago. He said, you know, the King Centurio recorded that three years before you. Mm. I, you're kidding me. <laughs> I did the King Centurio when I was a teenager. Right. I said, I never heard it. And he said, wait a minute. I'll go get my phone. He comes back <laughs> and plays me get together. Sounds, like, sounds kind of a lot like Sloop John B. Yeah. When, when they played it. And, mm. uh, and I... I don't know whether the airplane did it before us, but someone else. Mm -hmm. um, I had never heard it. So we're playing the go-go. I'm in the village. It's Sunday. Uh, I'm walking past the go-go thinking, wow, maybe it's dark. Because the big thing about playing there was to have uh, the club for rehearsal with the equipment. We, right. had, we had these Bill Hanley monitors, which were the killer Never heard anything like him. He was uh, amazing. And so I went down the stairs. There were two flights of stairs. I went the first flight. Ah, oh, I heard music. I said, ah, oh, they're having an open mic. <laughs> normally, normally I would have just walked away. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I went down the second flight of stairs. And I stepped into the room. And Buzzy Lenhart was on stage singing Get Together. Oh, no way. I mean, that song went right through me like a spear. Yeah. And uh, you know how in the movies about Jesus and the Bible? Yeah. The, I mean, the clouds opened up, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Big arrow that said, this is it. This is the way. This is your way forward. Wow. And, um, not, and you know, you listen to the lyrics, not only as music, but Love is but a song we sing, Fears the Way We Die. Who writes songs like that? Dino. Right. I met him later in California. And uh, Dino was kind of a tough guy. It was yeah? A, yeah. Kind of, uh, um, you know, I thought, wow, you wrote Get Together. Anyway, he had a... So um, I fell in love with it. I took it into... I ran backstage and Buzzy wrote the lyrics out for me. And um, I had heard him play with Tim Harden, but he was playing vibes with Tim Harden. I didn't, I didn't know him as a songwriter and singer, but hmm. I, after that day, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I it, know. And to answer your question, really, when I listened back to it, um, no, somebody at um, somebody at the uh, at a radio station in New York said to me, this is, this is, this recording is very pure. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Hmm, what made it pure? Well, it was five minutes and 
So uh, the uh, the adjunct producer wasn't there saying, let's do, let's make a hit out of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was an art piece and um, and no pressure was brought on it to, for it ever. Nobody thinking it was ever going to be on the radio. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't know that the summer of love was coming. So yeah. the, first, the first year it came out, it was 1967. Mm -hmm. And it, it was, we came to play the Avalon Ballroom for the first time and we were on the radio. Nobody in New York told us we were on the radio. <laughs> the ballroom was full and we're in New York starving playing discotheques and we're not really a dance band. So right. everybody was smoking dope and getting crazy. <laughs> so we, like smart boys, we went home and packed up and moved immediately. Wow. But we went to the country, you know, 40 miles outside. I don't know why. We just, right. We fell in love with Marin. And we thought, we don't, you know, we got ourselves. We're, we're a band. We can live. Sure. Let's do it. Yeah, Marin's beautiful. I mean, I don't, I would, if you, if you could do it, I would move there too. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we did. And I find out, I find out probably 10 years later, that my grandma's ashes. I used to visit this place called Mirror Woods, mm -hmm. where it's a redwood grove that was preserved by John. I've been there. Yeah, I love yeah. that place. Yeah, yeah, one of my favorite spots. My my mother, Straight Arrow. I thought she was took my grandma's ashes there because my grandma loved it and spread them around. <laughs> <laughs> wow, she wanted it. So I used to go visit my grandma. I'd ride my motorcycle down the coast. From Point Reyes and then through all those twisties uh, down the hill and the mountain and uh, and visit my grandma. Wow. And she had also lived in Hawaii. Wow. That's crazy. I didn't know that either. In Hawaii, my grandmother, who I hardly, you know, I hardly knew her. Right. Uh, I did like her. She taught me how to whistle. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. You were connected. I, like the energy was still connected, right? Right through. Like your life yeah. seems to have mimicked yes. a lot of it. Yes. Amazing. And my grandfather, um, Johnny Vanskyver, he was a a union organizer around the turn of the century in Lynn, Massachusetts. That's where my family's from. Hmm. Wow. Both of them, both of them uh, went to school in Lynn. I guess but they were both born there. Um he was a union organizer and a Golden Gloves boxer. Wow. Wow. And I guess around the turn of the century, you know, he was lucky to be able to use his fists because it was tough. I mean, they sick everything on the union, soldiers. Yep. But <clears throat> yeah. I have a pension from SAG AFTRA. <laughs> that's um, and that's... So I've been a union man all my life. Nice. I'm more like my grandfather than my father, but he was the one who played the piano and taught me all the, taught me how to sing all these Harvard fight songs about how oh, to nice. Yale's ass. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I made my debut. Eight years old, they put me up on a cocktail table at my father's Harvard reunion. And uh, the accordion player, of course, knew all the Harvard songs. Mm -hmm. and I did a little mini concert for them. Wow. And wow. it was kind of fun. That was my debut. It's all kind of hooked together. Yeah, that is, that's incredible, man, the way everything connects to you. Because then you, did you wind up living in Hawaii because of your grandmother? No. Um, Youngbloods went in the last year, maybe, that we were together. Uh, to Hawaii and open for Steely Dan in Honolulu. Oh, I love Steely Dan. Uh, I, I, I fell in love. I don't know if you've ever been there, but the vibe something gets to you. Um, and then I wanted to live there. And um, so when Connie and I decided to get married, I said, let's get married in Hawaii. Or she, th maybe she thought about that because she said her parents are divorced and how we, how do we, and uh, we just got to get them away from the East Coast somewhere. They, 
they will behave themselves mm -hmm. and uh, and not turn it into a uh, you know family row. So yeah. <laughs> got married on the Big Island. I said, "Look, come to the Big Island. I've been playing out there, um, and uh, it's cool." Nice and. Uh, we loved it. And on the way out of town, uh, we found a hotel. My promoter got us rooms in a hotel and he said, you can get married here. Had a beautiful little chapel. And this is right in Kona town. Uh, it was called the Kona Surf. It's now a Sheraton or something. But mm -hmm. uh, okay. in those days, it was the local hotel. Wow. Great. So, yeah. How did, how did you and Connie meet each other? We met... At Blues Alley. It was Mother's Day. I should have known. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was late for the sound check because I had gotten in at six in the morning from driving from New Jersey. I was playing solo. Oh, nice. I was late for the sound check. So I was, and I was trying to have stereo monitors in the, and the sound person was giving me a hard time. Mm. Or she didn't understand. Yeah, she just didn't. She didn't understand it. And I mean, not many sound men did at that point. They were saying, why is it stereo? Well, because anyway, <laughs> so I was grown and Connie had uh, just kicked out her boyfriend and uh, she and her girlfriend actually said, let's go see Jesse Colin Young. Screw these guys. <laughs> and well, they came. Nice. And Connie was thinking, this guy's in going to entertain me. He's really, he's all pissed off and he's all, <clears throat> didn't matter. I came back with the guitar. I'm singing. I found her, I found her in the third row and I couldn't take my eyes off her. Wow. Wow. Uh, and uh, I thought to myself, boy, I've been looking for you a long time. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, a couple of years later, we were in Hawaii getting married. Wow. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta ask you again about uh, going back to get together because it seemed like you said you guys didn't even know you were on the radio when you had sold out. So word like it, it didn't because there's no social media back then, so you don't even yeah. know when something takes off. Did you guys even know that you were in a commercial? How did that come about? Uh no, we had nothing to do with it. I don't know the uh, wow the the um, I forget. It's the something of Christians and Jews. Yes. Got together. I forget the formal name. And they just chose get together because, it. I mean, there it was. They wanted to do a brotherhood commercial. Yeah. Because uh, it was like a cultural phenomenon, too. I think they did it on the Muppets. Like, they covered it everywhere. Like, it was one of those. And it was your it was your version of the song. So it was crazy. It was just, you know. Well, I mean, it strung along until we hit the Woodstock summer. And... Mm. Uh, and what started in the in the summer of love, um, Augie Bloom, who was the head of promotion at RCA, he knew it was the right time. Wow. And they said, Augie, we don't re-release records, man. And he said, oh, yes, we do. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, all you're going to see of me is my back. So he threatened to quit. And they, yeah. Wow. They, they couldn't. They would have been fools. So they said, okay, okay, go on, just put it out. We don't care. I love that your whole team had like balls. Like basically, like you you're like, we're walking off of Carson, uh, I'm leaving RCA. Like yeah. you guys, yeah, you guys well, didn't mean, mess around. The way it had to be done because we were carving out, you know, I mean, look how artists how far artists have come as far as yeah. Um well, we used to be able to make money at it now. It's kind of yeah, fun. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I hear you. <laughs> Tell me about it. When you can help them, make some money. I can't even afford a real room. This is all blurred. It's all. No, I'm just kidding. I just. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's interesting, man, because that's a that's a whole different kind of a thing in the back of the day. And you opened for a lot of people, like you said. Was there anybody that you were like intimidated that you got to open for, or anybody that you were excited? You know what I mean? Like somebody that you really wanted to that you didn't get to. Uh we opened for Chuck Berry and were his backup band for that. Oh my evening. God. And uh, we were playing Memphis and we were having a sound check and I was doing a little uh, Motown stuff on the bass. And Chuck's mm -hmm. 
Just play the roots. Play the one, then play the five, because there's a lot of one five. <laughs> right. <laughs> what a, my hero, Barry, he's a prick. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> yeah, but, you know. Yeah. Those records, man, I listened to Johnny Be Good today. Man, it just, it is the story of every damn one of us mm. who, who, who made it through so thinking that whatever, I'm going to be an engineer, I'm going to be a this, I'm going to be a that, and no, but really, <laughs> I mean, when they kicked me out of Andover, it was for playing the guitar in study hours. Wow. Not for uh, fa failing my classes, suffering, or, or getting drunk or anything. Yeah. Right. It was, a, that was another big, big, big sign that was an asset. Get out of here, kid. You're not going to an Ivy League school. You are going to go to Columbus, Ohio. Everybody has crew cuts and live in a crummy little apartment behind a record store. And he's going to lend you records and you're going to take them. Yeah. And uh, that's where I came. I found T-Bone Walker and Ray Charles and B.B. King. I had never heard any of these guys. And uh, he let me take the record. No shrink wrap. I'd just play it once. My dad had bought me a tape recorder because he knew I was serious about this mm -hmm. and yeah and from there you know i made a uh i made a beeline to uh nyu and but i had no idea what i was doing you know I, there i was in the village i had just kind of chosen it because i didn't want to go back to the midwest though i'm sure the east coast and was there a moment where your parents had accepted you had accepted it as a career like that you were you were good yeah i think i was 40. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad said you know i would never have had the guts to go into the world without a degree and a, laying a path for me wow he said yeah. and you did it and you made it and yeah that's cool that they got to see you make it yeah and were they were they coming to shows and stuff in the beginning oh, well my dad never but my mom came to Carnegie hall once and wow. they, they said put her way in the back of the i mean we weren't that loud but she was <laughs> we, but we were loud enough right <laughs> put her in the in, in the balcony and yeah she loved it wow and uh nice. She's the one that gave me permission. So I come home from prep school. I got my Stella. Mm -hmm. and I play uh, this song that done by Leon and the Hearts, I think. Teardrop. Oh, yeah, yeah. The song. And yeah, uh, she cried. Wow. And wow. those tears were my permission to not become an accountant, but to pursue, you know. Your art. Yeah. So when I look back at it, I said, that was her saying, go for it, kid. You got something. You got something. Because I knew I had something. Mm -hmm. Make yep. my mother cry, although it was pretty easy. I mean, bird, <laughs> a bird song could make my mother cry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Did you, uh, did you get the impression that maybe it was something like her dream when she was younger and she wanted to see you be happy and do it in, in a way that she maybe couldn't? Yeah. Because... You know, we had a violin in the in the basement, but I never heard her play it. She gave it up. She gave it up probably long before she needed to mm. and became, a, you know, a secretary and then a housewife. And then. Right. Yeah. Why not? Um, it's such a bummer that people don't get to pursue, you know, I mean, even even today, even even in schools and stuff like that. It's like the arts are always down here. And everything else in order to just get a, a, you know, in order to survive, which I understand is like top priority. But I, I feel like you can do both. You can still encourage people to play music or draw or have some kind of passion, even if it's on the side. But they don't seem yeah, to do well, it. Much. Most, you know, 90, 90 percent of musicians or maybe it's 95 are weekend warriors. Yeah. Have a straight job. And just play on the weekends or some weekends or, mm -hmm. you know, and then some guys who play every weekend and right. go work in the Pepsi plant or something. So it, it works that way. And, 
you know, sometimes I think, you know, they, they have a lot of fun doing that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and they're not, sometimes you, when you turn professional, it's, I'm lucky I never, uh, once I did, I, I never earned a living any other way. That was it. I was just in music and I was able to, I mean, sometimes it was fat. Sometimes it was skinny. Yeah. I never cared. I just, uh, I followed the music. Yeah. Just did what you loved. And I didn't buy any Ferraris. I just (laughs) (laughs) don't buy Ferrari. Was there anything (laughs) extravagant that you bought once you like, once you made it or anything you wanted that you never got? No extravagant. My extravagance was I bought a BMW 2002. Oh, brand new. Wow. $4,200. Nice. Wow. <laughs> That's nice. That's good. Yeah. So that was one. And then I had it all souped up and stuff because I was starting to make some money. And uh, that'd be uh, hilarious if you bought the BMW and had them made it look like a Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> Don't buy a Ferrari, but yeah. totally remake another car into one. <laughs> I think I stayed away from like getting myself in over my head, you know, mm. like having a big house that I really couldn't afford or, right. Or a, you know, a giant car payment. Nah. Did you avoid like the heavy drug scene and stuff of like the musicians and stuff? Cause there was, you know, Laurel Canyon and all that stuff going on and everybody kind of dabbling in and out of stuff. Did you avoid it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could not smoke dope and sing. Right. Dried out my throat. And, uh, Made me paranoid. (laughs) (laughs) A shot of tequila did the trick. If I had age nerves. I love tequila. But, um, you know. Yeah, tequila's the best. I had to give that up, too. But, but, uh, yeah, the drug thing, man. I mean, mean, it, it really, it. As the as the heavy drugs came in, that, that you know, guys like Felix. Mm. Why are you shooting heroin? Well, because the cream was shooting heroin, and I was recording them, and they were all shooting heroin. Now, God, I'm thinking like, guys, right? What the fuck? Wow. Yeah, that's frightening. Yeah, so it didn't make any sense to me. Um, mm. I loved. Uh, playing music. I loved riding motorcycles and I did at the time I had five or six or seven. That was my one. I think Connie and I had about seven bikes when the, when the house went up in flames. Had a wow. beautiful, beautiful BMW sidecar rig. Jesus. And, and then all kinds of dirt bikes. We used to go up in the Sierra and she was raised riding dirt bikes on her old man was a flyer and had a this big dirt runway at his house, uh, although it was grass. So, she, she, yeah, he lived on fifteen hundred acres. So she rode her little motor scooter and, and motorbikes all over that stuff. So, wow. And she was a pilot. So when I met her, I thought, wow, wow. She she rides motorcycle and she flies airplane. Yeah. And she gave me this little airplane, and I kept it around for a while because I, I. She was living on the east coast. I was living on the west coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I knew I'd found the one. Nice. Yeah. Wow. It just took a while to get untangled so that we could get tangled up. Oh, that's nice. a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, so you were doing stuff during the pandemic because you you taken a break for a long time, and then yeah. Lyme disease, oh, nasty. My stepdad had the same. Oh wow. Yeah. I know it's not fun. No, it's hard to get rid of. If you have it for a long time, and I had it, you know, when we moved to Point Reyes, I I built that ridgetop house. It was from that there to the ocean was just two miles downhill. There was nothing but a few cows out there. <laughs> the beach, there was lucky to be two people on this five-mile beach. Um, I rode my motorcycles, my dirt bikes, all through that and down to the ocean. Uh, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. Wow. You know, coming off the Lower East yeah. Side. And uh, yeah. there it was. 
Did you, did it, was it easy? Did they diagnose it correctly at first? Cause I know Lyme's disease is something that sometimes people misdiagnose all the time or. Yeah. It, no, they didn't diagnose. They weren't even talking about it. I think I was doing so much hiking there and that woods was nobody was in the woods. I would right. bushwhack and make the, and then I'd run upon these big herds of white deer that somebody had imported years ago. Wow. Uh, you know, some guy wanted to hunt them who owned a ranch. So he, but, and they, and they interbred with the, the black tail coastal deer and made these wild looking white, big white deer. I used, to, <laughs> I used to ride with them on my motorcycle for that. They didn't recognize me as a man mm. with a helmet smelling like gasoline and, <laughs> and, you know, on a, on a funny bicycle. So I, I mean, once, you know, I rode up to a buck, you know, 10, 15 feet away. He kept looking at me like, what is this dude? Wow. <laughs> he was like, where do we get one of those bikes? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. What a time. So yeah. I, a lot of ticks. They mm -hmm. actually have a bush in Point Reyes called the tick bush. Right. I think it's a mountain laurel, but ticks love it. And I think I... I got limes there and then, you know, it just kind of laid low until the house burned down. When the house burned down, I was just broken hearted. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then when you go down, uh, if there's a disease you're carrying around, it goes after you. And that's what happened with Lyme. Jesus. It shot a little a big hole in my life there because yeah, but, cut your music short. Yeah, it did. You know, for probably five years in there, five, six, seven years, I wasn't touring. How did you kind of adjust without it? Like, what did you, did you replace it with something? Did you find another thing you love to do? Not really. Golf. Oh, <laughs> oh I don't have the patience for it, but I, I understand. It feels like that's something that everybody eases into at some point in their life. And I'm not sure if it's because... You know, there's nobody around on the green, so it's a really solid. It can be a solitary sport. Yeah. But I've I've tried it. One, I suck at it. Yeah. Two, <laughs> suck. It's really. Oh. Yeah. It's uh, it's beyond me actually. But um, <laughs> I think that's the secret to it. Everybody sucks at it, so <laughs> that that's what you learn. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. great. Yeah, my buddy does it, and we've gone out, and I and I appreciate it. It's beautiful. You got the green, you know. You kind of you're out there by yourself with friends, maybe. You, but I, man, there's balls missing because of me, <laughs> just in every direction, but where the hole's supposed to be. So, you, you do you guys know about the the No Nukes concert we did? And I think yes, seven, nine Madison Square Garden. Absolutely, yep. yeah, yeah. Well, I was I was part of that, yeah right at the beginning of of uh, of the no nukes movement and mm -hmm. uh, um, and then I moved down here and the reason Connie's father moved down here he came out of MIT was to work at something called the bomb plant oh wow now 15 miles from my house mm -hmm. So um, when I was sick, we still, we started something called Don't Waste Aiken. Connie started a Facebook page and we got involved because they were planning, they were planning to try to get the government to bring all the waste in the country, which is all being held at the sites, all <laughs> down to, <laughs> to my backyard. And so we, Good we, Lord. Fought that, we fought that really hard. So that. I took up two or three years, and I did write a song about it. And and uh, there are a few things that I put, um, that I put up. I did uh, some things called couch series with Labrador, and mm. I there. I don't know because I had a Labrador who would, he would come and lie down at my feet, and I'd say, "Okay, you're going to work, right?" And he would just. <laughs> Stay, stay there, and and people would write in. Are you sure that dog's alive? People <laughs> <laughs> <would> just lay, <laughs> lay there, and I th I thought that was going to get a call from Hollywood. He is so 
beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, about the dog. Right. And then during the during the pandemic, though, you started making music, started making singles and kind of like uh, going live a couple times and this up. Is that what, what made you go back into music? Was it just because everybody was in lockdown, you felt like you could provide some joy? Of course. Um, you know, this was after Dreamers. We had we had made Dreamers. We we toured for a couple of years with the with that band. Yeah. Great album, by the way. It's you and your son, Tristan, right? Yeah, and all the rest of the Berkeley, uh, every one of them, a young genius. Yeah, that was an awesome um, album. So that kind of ran its course, and we were home. And uh, first night of uh, stay at home, I said, well, Connie, I guess we're not going out to dinner, so <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> go get your guitar. This is weird. Go, go get your guitar, and I, I'll bet you, you know, play something funny like Sugar Babe. And, <laughs> you know, I think I think there's probably a lot of people feeling kind of weird tonight. Yeah. So, so we started doing that four or five times a week. I so caught a few I, of them. I went back through my, uh, you know, I'd go back through my um, my list of songs and things I'd recorded. And many of them with a band I had never and I had never played them solo. So I would, you know, work all day on a, like a solo arrangement of something. Uh, quicksand or something mm -hmm. that I played with it. And uh, and then when I got to it, Connie, I'd say, okay, I'm ready. And she'd bring in the phone and we'd do it. And then she would uh, cuss and figure out how to how to put it up. I mean, it wow. takes a lot longer to put it up. <laughs> than it, and, you know, from a home, you know, we don't have like super high end uh, internet here. Oh, uh, right. So, yeah. We trust me. When we started this in the beginning, we had our fair share of me freezing on screen trying to do because everybody tried to acclimate and figure out something they can do with their time and their talent or whatever, you know. Yeah. During the pandemic, and that's why this—that's why I started this. I mean, I couldn't go out on the road, so what are you going to do? That's great. Yeah. So we did that for two or three, two or three months, all the way to May, I think, from March. Nice year, and then uh, my manager suggested I, hey. You sound great solo. Why don't you make a solo album like your first album? And mm. yeah, I made uh, Highway Troubadour for BMG. Yeah, yep. and, yeah, they released it. I don't know when that was 18, 19, 20, maybe 20, I think. So, yeah, yep. Um, I'm about to start on volume two next week. Oh, congratulations, oh, wow. man. That's well, awesome. I, I, I want to finish out uh, the best of. Yeah um solo oh that's great dude congratulations that's awesome nice. and then i think uh, i think trouble is going to be on it because of i was i was going to say trouble is a that's I, I love that first of all i love uh you know the song by yusuf uh islam yeah. by cat stevens but you guys did a phenomenal cover you and your daughter jazzy and to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Harold and harold and maude how do, do you know cat stevens like how did that come about that you wanted to cover trouble like what was the story behind that I fell in love with that song. I think I probably heard it in a movie. Mm -hmm. And it had always sounds a little unfinished to me. And it turned out that was a demo that he had made. I didn't uh, even know that. Uh, that they used in the movie. Right. Uh, I don't know whether that's true or not. But um, <laughs> the manager did manage um, Yusef. And um, he asked him... Uh, we asked him if he wanted to be part of it. We never did get a, an answer, huh. so I guess. Um, but by that time, I had said, I want Jazzy. I want Jazzy to sing on this with me. And we had never recorded together. Wow. Um, of course, we didn't record together. We recorded on the same bits. Right. She was in California, and I, we hadn't seen her for a year and a half because we hadn't been on an airplane. And... Uh, so yeah, she joined me and and we did because she had. I used to sing it when I took her to school when she was a little kid. Um, you know, after the house burned down and and we ended up in Hawaii. I mean, I was glad to be there mm -hmm. about everything, but yeah, you know, the the grief and sorrow over losing your home like that. Boy, when 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 you come back and you realize your four story house 
is like 10 inches of uh, ash. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and a few few things that wouldn't burn, like the wood the wood stove cast iron didn't burn. Right. But, but yeah, it just tears you out. I, I got a question. When yeah. you guys were fleeing it, did you have to grab like that's a moment I remember during Hurricane Sandy. I remember being like, "All right, we need to get out of this house." You have to grab just these vital items to you. What were the items that you went for that you were like, "All right, this defines me. I need this, 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 and we got to get to the car and go." I wasn't home. Oh, I, I think, yeah, Connie was home though, and she called okay. me up and said, "The fireman said I got to leave." What? Wow. Yeah, there's a fire. And come and, and they they think we'll be okay, but so what do you want? I said I just uh, my I just brought my Hawaiian shirts home from the cleaners, and, <laughs> and they're right by the front door with my two stage guitars. I I guess I'm gonna have to go to work. Um, <laughs> so she yeah. got those and she got the silver that her, but she didn't get her own paintings. Oh my I, god which I adored and because uh, my sons were down at the studio mm -hmm. throwing tapes in the back of the, of a pickup truck and they filled it with uh, instruments. And because I didn't have a lot of instruments down there, but I had some and, right. and boxes of tapes like, uh, and, and uh, yeah. So those were the things, those yeah. were, she took and uh, her violin or one of her violins she, she missed one she couldn't find it it was under the bed and so wow. um, my young blood's bass was in the house yeah it, it went up too oh, oh uh, man uh, it is heart-wrenching because it, my, my parents lost their house during hurricane sandy and i remember having to go and pick them up and we were taking you know my mom took photo albums you know trying to figure out what to take but even in that moment it's never enough because there you think about stuff after the fact and their house was completely flooded. They, they had to gut it. Everything was destroyed in the hurricane. And, uh, and no matter what you save, you always feel like, I know to this day, she feels like she didn't take enough, but it's like, what can you take in that moment? Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. You always think about stuff after. That is crazy. One of our, one of our viewers actually asked, uh, Hi, the more how are you? He said, have you asked about your guitars? I keep looking at your guitars. I'm like, does each one of those have a story? Does like every guitar have like a story on the wall behind you? Some of them, yeah, they yeah. all do. Um, they're mostly tailors. I'm a, I'm a tailor yeah. lover. The way Taylor does necks, and uh, and the way they can get the action really low. At least, uh, a fellow named Dave Stoudy who worked there, who used to put uh, set up my guitar. It's just wonderful. And I don't know. My parents lived in Oceanside, so in 1990, mm. I found out the Taylor um, factory was like, you know, an hour away from my parents' house. So I went there and bought my first, my first Taylor from the factory as an artist. You know, they they uh, they give it to you at the yeah. same price they would give it to a store at. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Where is my first guitar? <laughs> <laughs> So this is Brazilian rosewood. Wow. Look at this. Wow. Beautiful. In here. Oh, the back. That's it awesome. is. It's a piece of art. On the oh, top, yeah. right? It is. So my dad <laughs> bought this one for me, and then Connie bought me one like this. This is a dreadnought, no cutaway. Uh, 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 she bought me a koa. And uh, yeah. So. Yes, there are stories. Wow. That's one of them. That's awesome, dude. Well, yeah. I'm really looking forward to the volume two, man. Uh, that's going to be exciting. Yes, siree. Yeah, me too. And I'll you're be... starting it in a week? Yeah, I'm going to start next week. I'm going to start next week, yeah. That's incredible. Um, we have uh, two more questions I want to ask you. Sure. I just want to thank you for coming on, first of all, because it's been a blast. It's such an um, honor. Yeah. And uh, so the first question is, if you can go back in time and tell your younger self, give your younger self a piece of advice that would help you today, what would it be? Mm. 
Don't take anything personally. I like that. <laughs> I'm still trying to learn that one. <laughs> it's sound advice. Well, yeah, because I mean, people do things all the time that if if you let yourself, even people you love that kind of piss you off or, you know, but it's really, yeah. if you remind, okay, I'm not going to take that personally. Why? Right. I mean, life's too short. Yeah. And sometimes you don't even know what anybody else is thinking or going through that day or, you know. It might have just been because you were in a bad mood and then they said something and you think like, oh, man. Yeah. No, 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 no. Especially in this day and age when you when everybody's reading the texts. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody's actually talking. So you don't know the inflection. You're just like, somebody can say hello to you in a text message. You're like, what's his problem? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> depending on the mood you're in. It's lovely, guys. We are have been having a conversation. Yes. And uh, yeah, I I mean, texting doesn't do it for me. Nope. I hear you. So I've really, I've really missed, but you know, I got into, I, I must, we, we must've done, Connie and I must've done at least 40 songs, you know, like the uh, one song at a time. Yeah. And that, uh, that was our way of being part of trying to help, you know, I'm, sure. I have EMT training. I can't be of help that way, but I thought we could, we could, we could be part of it, um, part of tolerating it. Uh, yeah, it together. helped me for sure, man. I used to try to catch them whenever you would do them live, and and even if I just had it on in the background while I was, you know, doing other stuff, it was it was great. Yeah, that's, I'm glad. I'm really glad. Uh, I have one more question for you. Uh, if you had, uh, um, I think it's basically. So what had to end in your life, good or bad, that led you to where you are today? Probably drinking. Mm. Wow. Uh, yeah, we have heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> Seems to be a running theme <laughs> with any kind of artist. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. It's. It's funny. I mean, it's just as uh, get you just as screwed up as heroin if you lose your mind and alcohol, and it's there everywhere. Mm, it's yeah. you know it, when I first got sober, I would um, and I'm eating health food, and uh, and part of it Connie grows organic stuff here, and mm -hmm. uh, I realized there's these huge sections of the supermarket. Like uh -huh. booze and beer section, although they are starting to make the most incredible NA beers, non-alcoholic beers. Oh, nice! Yeah. Really delicious. And, but they don't have them in the supermarket. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and the candy, uh, the candy cracker uh, junk food aisle. <laughs> so, <and> I, <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. Oh my god. And that, also, this is like a running theme now that we're doing with each guest. Last question. It's a little weird, so brace yourself. I'm sorry if it's a little weird. <laughs> so oh. if you, if this was an actual dystopia, right? If you were living in a real dystopia, how would you uh, want to be taken out? Would it be aliens, zombies, volcano? What's your, how would you want to go down swinging? Mm. Well, I... We have a house on the on the side of a volcano over in Hawaii. So, wow, <laughs> it's funny that we went from a fire, yeah, <laughs> to the fire. But, um, <laughs> lava has never come our way. It has always oh. come towards Hilo, and uh, yeah. But, Good lord! Wow. Well, now, wow, we have a real life answer. You're like, no, I live next to a volcano. It's a few <laughs> What do you What are you usually sacrificing in it to keep it at bay? <laughs> well, we we respect Madame Pele. She is the goddess of the volcano. Yes, she she rules. Yes, you know, if she wants your house, you know she's going to get it. Yes, yeah. so we we uh, um, we were part of um, building a Waldorf school that that has oh. survived and become a charter school. So wow. we have given to the keiki to the children of Hawaii this lovely school and we figure like 
Madam Paley, we we're getting good brownie points for that, you know. That's and, great. You know, and we we went, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we went organic with our coffee. Um, wow. I've never had organic. I love coffee. I've never had organic coffee. And that's and that's important. Yeah, now it's a poison crop. Oh. It it's um and we just we're not going to have any for two or three years now. We had to, there's this rust that invaded the islands uh, that has kind of taken out the coffee crop. And um, oh, no. we had to take all the branches off. We kept the trees and they will rebud, but I don't yeah. know. They will, uh, the rust is going to go away in the meantime. Wow. Other people are using, you know, we were organic, so we can't put poison on it. On the yeah. Plant. And I really don't want to drink. That's one day I saw these guys. We used to be the only thing that they use in a coffee field was like uh, Roundup. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, when we first moved there, we were we had a we were had a garden and a um, and then one day they're, they're they're spraying the Roundup in the coffee, and I'm watching it, the cloud drift over into my looking <laughs> <laughs> like. Wait a minute! I don't want to eat that stuff. Yeah, no, that's gross. And that was the day we we made the decision. Well, we just have to pay somebody to weed whack. Yeah, it's it's that simple. No, won't use yep. it. Um, yeah, it's a it's kind of a sad day, but and, and uh, but maybe it will come back. Oh, um, it'll come back because it's been it's been such a joy for. For thirty years, when there was no coffee on this place when we bought it, we just we fell in love with it. When we went on the honeymoon, um, we went over there to figure out where to get married, and decided it was Hawaii. And mm. on the out, somebody took us to this little farm, and we fell in love with it. And um, by the time we had gotten to Maui, we put an offer in, and. Then we would go there from the Bay Area, and then we decided, well, macadamia nuts are, don't really do it. They're, the trees are really old, and they're not producing yeah. coffee. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody else in the hills growing coffee. So, yeah, at, for a boy from Queens, yeah, it's been a, an adventure to learn to farm coffee. Right. Wonderful. It's a great journey. We appreciate you like making us part of your journey and sharing some of it with us. You have so many incredible stories. Uh, so, yeah. We just want to thank you again, man, for, for everything today. And I hope we can get you back. I feel like we've barely brushed the surface of all of there's so much knowledge and so many different experiences in you. But well, want to thank you again. Thank you, guys. You, you yeah, guys. thanks for coming on, man. It's been a blast. A beautiful job. Thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> Without a doubt. Such a pleasure, man. Thanks, man. Peace. All Have right. a great one. We'll definitely see you later. Thanks. Man. Dystopia tonight.